All right, you got your, your running shoes on. We'll try and get through this super quick because I know there's probably people who've got lunch Father's Day bookings and you don't want to miss it and things like that. So grab your Bibles and um, turn with me to Exodus 19. We're going to the OT, the Old Testament. <laughs> Exodus 19. We've been in a series, or I've been doing a series on covenants. And just to recap, who remembers uh, the five covenants that are in Scripture? Or there's six, but there's, we're going through five. There's the, who what was the first one we went through? No. Noah. Noah. Abraham. Then we have this one. This is Moses. Hello. Yes, Lord. Moses. David, and then the new, the new, new covenant, and this is really important, and, and it's it's fascinating. I didn't plan it this way. There's a re- huge reverb in my, so it's not out there. Okay, that's fine. Uh, it didn't plan it to be on Father's Day, but I reckon the number one thing that gets opposition to any message I've ever preached or people that I've ever seen preached is the goodness of God. That probably gets the most opposition. I don't think that's by coincidence because the, the devil does not want us to have the right view of who the Father is. He wants us to have a distorted view of God. And Jesus is the truth about God. Jesus is the truth about you and Jesus is the truth about God. The Bible says the mystery has been revealed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the statement is, I'm kind of going to, I'm going to start with the finish. The statement is this, if you cannot find it in the life of Jesus, you don't have permission to call it God. If you cannot find something in the life of Jesus, do not make a doctrine that is not found in the life of Jesus. How many storms did Jesus bless? How many people did he say, hey, this sickness, I'm giving it to you to teach you a lesson? All right, if you're not awake, you should be now. And rightly understanding this covenant, I think, is probably been the most misunderstood or, or misinterpreted uh, portion of history in, remember, a cover- the, 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 the Old Testament is the covenantal journey of God and man. And we talked about how there's a grant covenant, which is a covenant like Noah. He said, I'll never flood the earth again. It didn't matter what you and I do. He'll never flood the earth again. Right? That's a promise from God. It's not contingent on what we do. Right? And then there's a kinship covenant, which we're going to talk about in a second. But in in essence, it's two equal parties coming together like a marriage, right? It's not a greater power bestowing something on a a lesser power. It's it's two equal parties coming together. And this type of covenant was pretty, uh, this wasn't new and this wasn't just in Israel's day. This was around in different cultures, contexts, and, and gods. And so this, this is the covenant that, that takes place. 
But God's initial plan is obviously they come out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for a long time. Moses takes them out of Egypt. I'm not going to go right into this story. But they, they then come out and they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And, and God says, I want to make you a priesthood of all believers, right? And he talks to them and they hear him in the cloud. I'm, I'm paraphrasing the story for time's sake. And they, they, uh, they hear God. Now, you've got to understand, if I can give Israel, the Jewish people, a bit of, bit of help here, their view of God was Pharaoh, Right? So their understanding for the last 400 years has been Pharaoh is, is, is a god. So here's this god in the, in the cloud in talking and there's lightning and thunder. They're like freaked out. Right? Even though he's brought them out of slavery and he's done all this amazing stuff, they're freaked out. And so they say, and, and it's really cool, I was discussing it with Dean during the week and we were talking about it. There are a bunch of theologians and a bunch of people that say the lightning and the... If you think about it, it says there was an audible voice, there was a rushing wind, and there was lightning and thunder, right, and fire on the mountain. And he wants to make them a priesthood of all believers. Some theologians say they saw it as tongues of fire. That's how they would describe it in the Old Testament. I'd like to propose this could have been the day that the day of Pentecost happens. There wouldn't have been the rejuvenation of the Spirit which needed to take place, but this was a day that God says, I want to give you a grant covenant. I want to give you a grant covenant. And they, it's actually the first time in history that they not only... Re- it wasn't the first time that God had been rejected. Obviously, we have Adam and Eve... So early on, <laughs> right? So Adam and Eve rejected God, but when God came to them, they came out. This is the first time in history that God's people rejected God in fear and turned the other way. Right? We don't have time to read the whole story, and we'll probably unpack some of this in, the, in, in deeper level in the Bible nights. But... They turned away and they said, we are afraid and we do not want to come, up to, the, uh, uh, to come up. We want Moses to go. Right? So the first time now we have a mediator between God and man, not direct access to God. This is the worst day in Israel's history. It is. This is the worst day. So if we read Exodus 19 verse 3, it says... While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Does this sound like Peter, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? There are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Wow. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. We'll stop there. So here... They're like, they reject God. I'm paraphrasing now. So they reject God. Moses goes up, right? And here we have the first time that, that the law comes in. Now, I want, to, I want to backtrack a bit. Sin was in before the law. You understand that? Okay, I know this is, this is hopefully this is simple. But sin was in before the law. So before the law, we've done Noah We've done Abraham, right? There's Joseph, right? There's all these great men and women of God. And here, so the law has been in for roughly 2,850 years. So, sorry, sin has been in for roughly 2,850 years. Sorry, got that right. Sin. So sin has been in before the law comes in. This is really significant to understanding some of the new covenant scripture that we don't, we, we can actually rightly interpret who God is now. I hope this is making sense, right? So here, I'm just going to give you four, I'm going to give you two, we're going to read through two examples and I'm going to give you four scriptures if you're taking notes. These would be, if you're really into this, this would be significant for you because the law from the time the law was given was 1,300 years until the time Jesus came onto the scene. So we have less time with the law than we do without it. So before the law, in Exodus 15.22, let's turn there. Exodus 15.22, I want you to see this in your, in your Bible. These are four examples, right? Exodus 15 verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness to shut, uh, of Shut. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for, uh, uh, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he rested them. So they grumbled. Right? They grumbled, they complained, and what did the Lord do? He's like, all right, here's a log of water, right? Okay, let's read one more, and then we're going to go to after the law. Verse uh, Exodus 16, 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the people Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, what that we would, uh, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill us, the whole assembly with hunger. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven (laughs) out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in the law or not. Right? So we'll stop right there. So here they grumble, and we know the story. There's bread, and then they grumble again. He says, all right, we'll do quail. Right? And so he's providing. God's providing. All right, let's go to Numbers 11, verse 1. Numbers 11, verse 1. Are you with me? I'm going to unpack this in a moment, but I want you to see this for yourself. Numbers 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. This is after the law has been inaugurated, okay? This is after the law. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses as Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Well, that's different. If you go to Numbers 11, so stay there on 33. While the the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kilbroth Hatawa, because there they buried... The people who had the craving from Kilbroth Hatawa, the people journeyed, journeyed on. There's another one. Here's the, the two other scriptures: Exodus sixteen twenty-seven thirty, and Exodus seventeen one to seven, and then Numbers fifteen thirty-two thirty-six. There's death, and Numbers twenty-one four to six. There's a serpent. So the Numbers passages are after the law. The Exodus passages are before the law. The four Exodus passages before the law, God's not for it. He's like, hey, this isn't good. The wages of sin is death, right? So he's like, this isn't good. You're grumbling, but I'm going to provide mercy. I mean, how many times did Abraham lie? You know, how many times did these things happen? And God's like, listen, I'm slow to anger and merciful. After the law, he's like, rains down fire and kills them. Why is that? So Exodus 19, he has, we have Israel, they're, they're camped around. He said, they said, no, no, we reject you. Go up to the mountain, Moses. So Moses goes up to the mountain and then the law is written. He gives Moses the law. How does he give it to him? With his finger, right? On how many tablets? Two. Okay. On what, why two tablets? Scripture, I think it's 32, Exodus 32.15b, it says that the tablets were written on both sides. Right? So it's in your Bible. I'm not making this up. It says the tablets were written on both sides. This is, that's important. It's important because what happened here now is so when, when Moses goes up to the mountain, and uh, if we go to, actually we'll read this, Exodus 19, if we go back to Exodus, sorry, I know there's a lot of scripture, but <clears throat> Exodus 19, verse 18, it says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. 
And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. So that's that whole passage of, um, of uh, the tongues of fire, right? Now if we go to Deuteronomy 5, this is the correlation of what happened here. So this is the, a bit of evidence that we don't have in Exodus that we do have in Deuteronomy. So if we go to Deuteronomy 5, verse 23... And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? Remember how he said, Don't touch the mountain, you will die? Right? For who is there of all flesh and who has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still lived? Go near and hear all the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. So here is the worst day in history. They send Moses instead of they all could have come and been a priesthood of all believers. Right? So here, God says, all right, if, if, if you turn to, go back to Exodus, Exodus 32, we're going to camp there for a bit, but Exodus 32. And uh, so here Moses is like, all right, I'm going to give you the law. You, I wanted relationship. You've rejected me. Wow. I'm going to give you the rules. Wow. You want rules? You want mediator? Here they are. Wow. God didn't want that. The law is not bad. The law, as we're going to read in 2 Corinthians and Galatians in a moment, but the law is a diagnosis. Galatians says that it was, it was brought in to reveal transgressions. The law is not evil. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's, but it's not the answer. It's a diagnosis. So here, Moses is like, all right, let's do, the, let's do the law. So they write it down on two tablets. They write one to five on one side and two to ten on the other. Oh, sorry, six to ten on the other. My math, terrible. One to five, six to ten. And then on the other tablet, they write one to five and six to ten. Two tablets. What would happen in that day is if two parties made a contractual agreement, they would write it on stone and they would use both sides of... They wouldn't waste material. So they would use both sides of the stone. They would write the contract on. And then I... So if I'm in contract, say, with Dean and we're in a covenant agreement together, Dean would take his tablet his contract, back to his God and his people. And I would take my tablet back to my God and my people. And I'd say, I've made a covenant agreement with Dean's tribe, right? And we are to keep to these rules. And if we don't, our God will either bless us or curse us, depending on the rules that have been set that we keep. And Dean's God or Dean's king, will do the same for their tribe. Are you following? 
And what they would do is they, and this, you can look this up, so I'm not making this up, you can look this up. They would, they would put that covenant in an ark. The Egyptian, Egyptians did this. The Midianites did this. So they would take their, their covenant and they would put it in an ark and then they would put that ark in a temple. They don't have a temple. And so what this is, is a kinship covenant. This is a covenant where two equal parties would come together and then they would say, all right, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. If you do these things, you'll be cursed. The problem we have here is one of those parties is God. So we have a problem. Because God is God. And he's the ruler of not only himself, but now Israel. Right? So there's a problem. Because the problem is, is the partner of the covenant with Israel is also the punisher. This is a problem. And it's also a problem because how does God take his covenant with him? He's God. He's a spirit. That's why Moses has two tablets. It wasn't one to five on one side and six to ten on another tablet. They were written on both sides. So God, he is the problem. God, how does he keep himself accountable? How does God keep himself accountable? Well, Psalm 138 verse 2 says, God puts his word above his name. God says, hey, listen, if I can paraphrase it, Liam's terms, right? Liam's language. Hey, listen, I'm going to put my word above my nature, above my name. I'm going to, I'm going to, because we're going to talk about what happens. I'm going to paraphrase for time. Moses comes down the mountain. You know the story. Drops the tablets, they break. Why? He's been up there 40 days, right? Comes down, took them 40 days to build a golden calf out of gold, melt it down in a pot, build a golden calf. They were eating and drinking and having orgies. So what were they doing? 40 days. It took them to move from we're free to let's worship a false god and indulge in each other. And, Moses, and God's like, stuff this. <laughs> I'm swiping them all out. Let's start again with you, Moses. I'll make you a great tribe. Right? I'm paraphrasing. You can read it for yourself. It's in there. God's like, I'm done with this, right? I'm done with this. This, if you look at this through the right lens, you will catch the heart of God, how much he's for relationship, right? Catch this. So Moses pleads with God. I think it's Exodus uh, 32, 11. If you, if you can read it, if you read it for yourself, Exodus 32, 11. The, uh, the, bad, the bad day happens. 
Right, 32. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn against hot against your people? Do you know the word wrath is never mentioned until the law comes in? It's very interesting. Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them for the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent this disaster against your people. Now, verse 13, this is key. Who does Moses, Moses is like, this isn't working. I need to pull on a previous promise that's a grant promise that's not conditional. I need to pull on that promise now. And what does he say? He says, remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit forever. So he pulls, Moses is like, no, 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 listen, God, 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 listen, please, listen. Remember the promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Remember that promise. And God says, all right, all right, you can leave and go into the promised land, but I'm staying here. Remember this? And Moses says, no, 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 listen, God. (laughs) You don't understand. If your presence does not go with us, I'm camped here. We have the tent of meeting gets, gets set up. And he puts out the tent of meeting and he says, show me your face. And we, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just, we'll skip over some things. But in Exodus 32, God says, all right, take for yourself the Levites and those who are doing the wrong, grab your swords and kill them. The law was introduced and what happened? 3,000 died. What happened when the spirit was introduced? 3,000 were added. So he kills the Levites, Exodus 33, 1 to 3. He says, show me, the presence of God comes. And Exodus 33, 21, Moses says, I want to show, show me your glory. Show me your glory, right? And then Exodus 34, 5 to 9, we have the second time that Moses goes up to the mountain and he gets hidden in the rock and he writes the law. He says, make for yourself two tablets again like you did previously. Bring them up, right? So here we have, and then the rest of Exodus is, is, is the law being introduced, the rules of the temple, uh, the, <clears throat> the instructions for the building of the temple, uh, and what they're to do when they go into, into the promised land, when they're in, they go out of there into the wilderness, right? And so uh, then we, we have the next 40 years, which should have taken them 11 days roughly. So just a bummer, <laughs> right? Interesting, in, uh, in Jude, <clears throat> it talks about that the devil argued with the archangel Michael over the body of Moses. I'd like to propose that he argued over the body of Moses because the devil wanted Moses in the promised land and God didn't. Because Jesus, didn't, Jesus came to fulfill the law. The Lord doesn't go into the promised land. So now we have this problem really quick, but it's like this. If I can 
paint this picture for you. So say if Dean and I are in a covenant agreement for the first time in history, if I leave to go to another country and I go worship the Amorites and I bring back false gods and maybe I'm bringing wives in from countries I shouldn't and I'm obeying, disobeying the rules that have been set in place for me and he's God... He's not just partner, but he's punisher. So he has to keep to the rules that we wanted. He doesn't want to, but he has to keep to those. He says, all right, you wanted the rules, here are the rules. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. So we're worshipping false gods, as you see throughout history. He says, we can't have that. And maybe I leave to go away on a weekend and... Uh, a neighbouring country called the Amorites come in and they pillage my village, they take my livestock and maybe they rape my, my wives and or my children or whatever. Well, I'm God, say, Dean's God, and he has to keep to the rules because what is mine is his and what is his is mine. So he has to protect me at any cost. He doesn't want to kill the Amorites, but he's God. Are you tracking? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. We'll fast track. Two Corinthians three. We're going to read the whole passage. Try and be done in eight minutes. I'll try, I said. <laughs> Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Right, so 400 years, they've been living in the law. They've been under the law, right? The law came in after Abraham, after Noah. The law has now been implemented, and now Jesus comes on the scene. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is, conf such is the confidence that we have through God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves or claim anything Excuse me. Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So when he talks about a new covenant, he's, he's drafting us into the Abrahamic and the Noahic and the Davidic covenant, right? But he's fulfilling the Mosaic. He fulfilled the Mosaic. We're not being drafted into the law. He fulfilled it, Right? So he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward us. Not that we are, uh, I read that, sorry. Um, we are some suffi sufficient ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter, which is the law, kills. But the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, 
Remember, Galatians, it talks about, it says where the law is, the law is a diagnosis. Oh, we have a problem. It's called sin. The law comes in and it, do, it exposes, the, it, it's, it's diagnosing the problem. It's not bad, it's not evil, it's not wrong. But it's diagnosing the problem. The problem is called sin. Do you, are you tracking? So the law comes in and it increases. Romans says that. So where the law came in, sin increased. Why? Because now they knew what they're doing wrong. They're like, oh my gosh, we're doing a lot of things wrong. Right? So the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That passage, I know people, and we use the phrase here as well, people have used it here as well, but that passage where it says, from one degree of glory to another, that is talking about we are now going. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he's saying, listen, listen, whenever Moses is read, there is a veil over people's hearts. And what you need to do is you need to turn to the Lord and then the veil is removed. It's not the veil is removed and then turn to the Lord. It's turn to the Lord and then the veil comes off because only Christ can do that through the Spirit. No one is righteous through their own works. That's what he's getting at. He's saying it's only through Christ and Christ alone, right? And then he says, now we're going from one degree of glory Old covenant, law, to a greater degree of glory, new covenant, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's what he's talking about, right? One person's excited. Um, the rest of you should be. So, <laughs> so spontaneous. Well done. Um, <laughs> um, just real quick, Galatians 2 says this, 17. But if in our endeavour to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been, this is Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, if righteousness could have been achieved through the law, then Christ died needlessly. 
In order for a new covenant to be established, there had to be a death. I'm not going to read Galatians 3, but you should read Galatians 3, uh, verse 15 on. It, taught, it gives this. It says, the law came in so that there was a guardian. There was a guardian over Israel and over anyone that's experienced the law. That guardian is the law. It's like this is a guardian to protect you until the time of a coming Messiah. This law was to protect you. It wasn't to punish you. You're the ones who wanted a kinship covenant. This is what God's saying. He's saying, you wanted this covenant. I offered you a priesthood of all believers. You rejected it. You wanted a mediator between God and man. And now I'm going to nullify that covenant. I'm going to eradicate it. I'm going to fulfill it because Jesus was born under the law by a virgin. He fulfilled the law and he died to start a new covenant called the kingdom of God. So we're not under, it's not a little bit of law with a little bit of grace. It's all grace. Grace is not a license to sin and get away with it. It is permission to live the life of the Spirit that you were designed for. The law's not bad. But all it does is diagnose the problem. Righteousness gives you the answer to live free. Last thought. I nearly got it done in eight minutes. In eight minutes. Why don't you stand? This is the last thought. I know we've, un- we've unpacked a lot of study in a very short amount of time. When the woman caught in adultery came out, because what did Jesus say when he came? He said, you've heard it say. You've heard it say. What's he quoting? He's quoting the law. He says, you've heard it say, but I say. You've heard it say, but I say. What's he doing? Jesus is now making it impossible for people. Well, how do we live free? Who can be saved, Jesus? He says, that's the point. That's what the law does, brings a diagnosis. But I say. So now through the new covenant lens that you and I have, we can look back at the, but I say, and say, oh, that's the life I can now live. I can look at a woman with purity in my heart because I'm the regenerated spirit lives in me. I don't have to look at a woman as a possession. I can look at her as a pure daughter of God. I can have someone, a brother, vile against me, and I don't have to have hatred in my heart because I have Christ in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the but I say isn't a measuring rod that we get to measure up to. It is the mirror that we've become. So when we, when we rightly, Timothy says that you would rightly handle the word of truth. So when we understand scripture, we understand that we're like, oh, okay, Jesus came to expose. You've heard it say, guys, but listen, I'm bringing my best. I'm bringing my best. Yes, God put his word above his name, but I'm going to rightly expose who God is. Hebrew says, in the last days you heard it through the prophets. In these days you, it's through the Son that Jesus Christ is revealed. Colossians says that he's the exact imprint in the nature of God. He's the visible image of the invisible Father. If you want a picture of who God's like, he's exactly like Jesus. Exactly like him. So here the woman gets caught in adultery 
And they bring her out before him and they said, what, shall you, what would you do under the law? How many times did God write the law? What did he do it with? The stones in those days, they reckon in Jerusalem, probably would have been the same stones that the law was written on. Jesus bends down and says, and with his finger twice he wrote in the sand. And the oldest left because he was the smartest. <laughs> I'd like to propose that Jesus was basically telling these Pharisees who were keeping people in condemnation. They were whitewashed tombs. Just read Matthew 23 if you want to know what Jesus really thought about the Pharisees. He says, don't talk to me about the law. I wrote the thing. Don't you talk to me about this. I've come to bring a different covenant with me. And I'm bringing the kingdom. And it's not a kingdom of condemnation. It's a kingdom of grace and mercy. And it's different. Hebrews 8, it says that this one, this kingdom, this covenant, sorry, is being null, null and void. It's passing away. But there's a new covenant enacted on better promises. It's a better covenant. We honour the past. We honour the things that have gone. They're not evil. They're not bad. But you and I are living in a new covenant. And we need to really, the Dean and I, it's been on our heart and the church's heart for a long time that we would rightly understand the nature and the goodness of God. That we will rightly see who God is. Because if we don't, if we have a picture of him still as the angry father, then we won't, what we will actually do, if I can just be honest as a church, at the church culture, what we would, preaching isn't evil, pulpit isn't bad, all those things aren't wrong. But what we will do is we will create another Moses culture that says, I just want a mediator to go to the God and get the, get the word of the Lord for me and I'll come on Sunday and I'll eat once a week. And what we'll have is we'll have malnutrition, malnourished Christians. Or we will just come to church and be fat Christians and we'll never give it away. So when we rightly see, oh my goodness, we've gone from one degree of glory under the law to now a new degree of glory called the righteousness of, Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We, we run boldly to God. Because we're living under the, the age of mercy and the, under the age of grace. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church called the sanctuary. I thank you for this house. I thank you for your people. And I do actually want to echo the prayer of Moses, God. And I want to say that if your presence goes, we go too. We do not want to move without your presence. We don't want to move without what you're doing. We want to be in step with your step. We want to be in tune with your voice. We want to be led by your spirit, God. I pray that this house would be a house 
that would not be uh, like two Corinthians, it would be a 2 Corinthians 5.21 that you've given us the ministry of reconciliation, not counting people's trespasses against them. I pray that this house would not just talk about loving people, but we would actually love people. I pray that this house would be a house that knows who their daddy is. I pray that we would know who our father is and that we would rightly divide the word of truth and we would boldly come into your presence, God. That we can come in as individuals, but we can come in corporately as a body. We can come in as a body into your throne room. We can sit on your lap, Father. We can have conversations with you face to face. That it's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who live in us, the hope of glory. I pray there would be a revelation, Father, in the knowledge of you, God. There'd be a revelation in the knowledge of you, Father. A revelation of who you are, Father, that we will rightly see who you are, God, and we would rightly represent you to a world out there. God, I pray that there would be a repentance in our minds to change our hearts, change our minds, to live the way that you live. That we wouldn't be like the Pharisees of old who said, well, this is the way that you have to come, God. This is the way that you're going to come and take over Rome. You're going to conquer them with weapons. And then you came with a meek and mild spirit and you healed the sick. You raised the dead. You cast out demons. You cleansed the lepers. I pray we wouldn't miss the Spirit of God because we think it's going to come in a certain way. I pray it would be such in tune, so in tune with your spirit, God, that when you come and when you move, we wouldn't miss it. I ask this for this house in boldness and in faith. God, I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. I thank you for what you've done this morning. I thank you. Many people are going to be healed. We declare it because you said, by your stripes, you are healed. And I pray for a new covenant, radical, radical move of God in this city, in this town. I just pray it'd be not just in one church, but it'd be in multiple churches. The veil that many people would turn to the Lord and the veil would be removed. The veils of people's eyes would be, would be opened up, Lord. That maybe people have seen you as an angry God or an angry father. Yes, there's, there's judgment. Yes, there's wrath. There's all these things. I get that. That's real. But you sent your son to adequately represent you. And Father, we want to rightly represent you to the world around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand? Can we give God a hand?